When you became a Christian, you were given a gift. Actually, you were given several gifts. The most important gift, of course, was the gift of eternal life. For as we read in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I pray that all here have indeed received that gift. In Acts 2.38, we read of another gift. And Peter said to them, Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. At our baptism, the Holy Spirit was given to us as a gift to indwell us, to empower us, to enable us to live Christ-like lives. And I trust you are aware of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. But there's more. And this may come as news to some of you. When the Holy Spirit came into your life, you were not only given the gift of the Spirit, you were also given a spiritual gift. And the fact that we were all given a spiritual gift and examples of such gifts are found in several places in the New Testament. In Ephesians 4, 7, we read, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, the word translated grace here is charis, which is the root word from uh, which the Greek gets charisma or charismata, from which we get the word charismatic, meaning a gift of grace. So what Paul is actually saying here is that each of us have been given a gift of grace or simply a spiritual gift. He then goes on to speak of some specially gifted individuals who've been given to the church in verses 11 and 12. He says, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. That would seem to indicate that in addition to giving everyone in the church a gift, Christ gave the church some specially gifted individuals to serve as apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. But even that is not the end of the gift giving. In Romans 12, 6 through 8, we read, And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Here Paul again affirms that we have been given gifts, charismata, and that our gifts differ. In fact, he mentions seven different gifts here and how they should be used. 
Peter also speaks of our gifts. And in 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11, we read, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so as by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter affirms that each one of us have received a gift, a charismata, to be employed in serving one another. And he seems to categorize them as either speaking gifts or serving gifts. And then last week, we began the most extensive passage of Scripture dealing with spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. In the introduction to the passage, we looked at the spiritualities behind the spiritual gifts and the problems associated with them, and then affirmed once again that the Spirit is in the business of giving gifts to believers. We also learned that Jesus then opens up areas of ministry in which we can use our gifts, and that God guarantees the results. He will get done what He wants done in our life if we use the gift or gifts the Spirit has given to us. Now, that, that's exciting. That's exciting. But it's also a bit puzzling if you don't know that you have a gift. And you have no idea what your gift might be. Well, this morning we're going to take a look at the spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament. And hopefully you'll have an aha moment. You know, and say, I think I've got it. Okay? <laughs> well, in our text for today, Paul gives us the longest list of spiritual gifts to be found in Scripture. But before he does so, he touches on some important basics about gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. But to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Again, Paul begins by reminding us that each one of us, every Christian, for that's to whom he's writing here, has been given a gift. There is no one in Christ who has not been given a spiritual gift, a special, divinely given capacity for service and ministry in the body of Christ. Those gifts were given for a good reason. You know, as the body of Christ, we have the responsibility of being what Jesus would be if he were here in the flesh today. And there's not one of us who can fill Jesus' shoes. In fact, even collectively, we fall miserably short of filling in for Jesus on earth. We don't have what it takes on our own. So the Holy Spirit brings to each part of the body, each individual believer, a specially divinely given capacity 
for service or ministry to enable us to fulfill individually and collectively the work we've been called to do. So bottom line, you have a gift. And that gift is something special. It's what Paul calls here a manifestation of the Spirit. Now, in this context, gifts are different than talents. You know, gifts given at our spiritual birth are in addition to the talents given at our physical birth. And we often fail to make an important distinction here. And we speak of a talented individual as a gifted individual. In a sense, we're right. They were gifted at birth. But talents like rain fall on the just and the unjust alike. Spiritual gifts, however, are different. They are given only to those who are born again. And they are spiritual in nature. Now, that doesn't mean they're mystical, only that they minister on a spiritual level. I think the difference can be illustrated by someone who is talented in the area of music, for instance. You know, someone may have been born with musical ability. Some of us have, some of us haven't. You know, you know, we spent eight years trying to teach Nikki to play the piano. And how are you doing with that? About as good as I do with the accordion, right? Yeah. Yeah, you remember those things? Matt, you know? <laughs> Never heard of an accordion, probably, right? Well, anyway, Matt, on the other hand, anything he touches is musical. It's amazing. It's a, it's a gift that was given at birth. It was a natural talent, a natural ability. And many people have those talents. If you have a musical talent, and if you develop it, you may get to the point where you can sing or play absolutely beautifully, even perfectly. And people may be thrilled by your talent. But unless that person is born again and given a gift that enables them to minister on a spiritual level, it's really doubtful that their singing or their music, while beautiful to the ear, will lead someone in praise and worship. There's a difference. The difference, I believe, is the difference between a talent and a gift. A spiritual gift ministers on a spiritual level. Someone may be a talented teacher in the secular world, knowing the finest Techniques of teaching, but a failure as a Sunday school teacher because they don't have the spiritual gift of teaching that enables their teaching to touch the heart and the spirit of their pupils. I think there's a difference between talents and spiritual gifts. Now, of course, we are held accountable for the talents we've been given. We must use our talents for God's glory like everything else we've been given. But let's not overlook our gifts. And a spiritual gift may or may not be something that can be used in conjunction with our natural talents. But even if you don't feel you have any talents at all, if you're in Christ, you've been gifted. You've been given a manifestation of the Spirit. A gift that goes beyond any talents you may or may not have. A gift that is not natural but is a manifestation of the Spirit's activity in your life. So don't sell 
yourself short. You have something to offer. A gift that's to be used. And the final point Paul makes before listing for us some gifts is that spiritual gifts are given for the common good. They aren't given for personal gratification or enjoyment. Even though tremendous joy and fulfillment comes from using them, that's not their purpose. They're given for the common good, to bless others and to enable the body of Christ to collectively be all that Christ would be if he were here on earth physically today. So spiritual gifts can never be used selfishly for our own good. They're always to be used in ministry to others. That's some basic fundamentals about gifts we have to keep in mind as we study through the gifts. So let's look at some of them and see if we can't perhaps discover what our gift is if we don't know it already. Verses 8 through 11. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works in all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Now, as I mentioned, this is the longest list of spiritual gifts to appear in Scripture. And here Paul mentions nine specific gifts. But the nine listed here aren't all there are. Because each list mentions gifts not found in other lists. So it's apparent that whenever a list of gifts is given, it's not merely to indicate that's all there are. These are just examples of gifts. And I think that's important, important to note. You know, while the lists are valuable in helping to understand what gifts are like, you may not find one mention that seems to apply to you. And all that means is that you've been given an unlisted gift. Okay? That's even more exciting. That's even more exciting. But we have been given examples, adequate examples, to help us understand what spiritual gifts are like. And this morning, instead of just looking at those listed here in our text from Corinthians, I want to touch briefly on on all of them that are mentioned in Scripture. You know, those in Ephesians and Romans as well as those listed here in the 12th chapter of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And Paul does add a few more toward the close of chapter 12. So let's look at verse 28 before we compile our list. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All right, we've read the list. Now, what do we do with it? How do we take these lists and make it usable? Well, I think in compiling a list, it's often helpful to to categorize things. And I think that can be fairly well done 
with the gifts mentioned in Scripture. Ephesians mentions four gifts that seem to be positional in nature. It speaks of four positions in the church that have been given for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So they seem to be one category of gift. Then here in 1 Corinthians, we find four gifts that aren't mentioned elsewhere that are truly miraculous in nature. Miracles, healings, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. These gifts seem to stand alone and have been designated by some as sign gifts. We'll explore that further. The rest might simply be called working gifts. Let's begin with the positional gifts. In Ephesians 4, Paul says God gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Now, Due to the Greek construction, it appears that pastors and teachers go together. It's one position, that of pastor slash teacher. We begin with apostles. The word means one who is sent forth. It's primarily used of the twelve and Paul who were personally commissioned and sent forth by Jesus. Now, the apostles and prophets are referred to as the foundation of the church in Ephesians 2.20. So the official position of being an apostle is, in my opinion, no longer needed. The foundation has been laid. But the term apostle, used in a broader sense, means simply one who is sent. Barnabas, Andronicus, Junius, Silas, and Timothy are also referred to as apostles because They were sent forth. So technically, anyone sent forth with the gospel can be called an apostle. But in the sense of it being a gift, I'm convinced it no longer exists. Prophets. The word here means one who speaks forth, one who declares the mind of God. Again, the gift of prophet was foundational. And the only New Testament prophet I can think of by name is Agabus. We're also told that Philip, the evangelist, had two daughters who were prophetesses, but that's all we know about them. Now, the gift of prophecy, of being able to speak forth with clarity the mind of God, may still exist in being able to declare what has been revealed in Scripture. But the gift of being a prophet, Knowing the mind of God apart from the Scripture was foundational, needed only until the Scriptures were completed. Next we find the evangelist. It means a messenger of good news. Philip and Timothy were said to be evangelists. And I do think the gift of being able to deliver the good news of Jesus in such a way that hearts and lives are changed is still needed today. And while all of us are to evangelize, it certainly seems that some are specially gifted in this area. And finally, we have the pastor-teacher. This is a combination of a shepherd, one who guides, and the way he guides, by teaching. 
This, I think, is the gift that elders and local preachers must have if they're to do the job of shepherding a congregation. These gifts, or positions, were given to the church to equip the membership to do the work of ministering in the world. That's very, very important. Sometimes we think those in those positions should do the work. No, 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 no. Their job is to train the body to do what? The work. To do the work. That's important. The apostles and prophets gave us the scriptures. Evangelists touch our hearts and lead us to Christ. And pastor teachers feed us, equipping us to be what Christ wants us to be. That's the positional gifts. Next we have what are often referred to as sign gifts. Now, not everyone agrees with this analysis. I'll be upfront about that. I think it's correct. These gifts, in my opinion, include those that accompanied the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost and at Cornelius' household, and gifts that were later given to individuals through the laying on of the apostles' hands. They're definitely miraculous in nature and were used to confirm or authenticate a message that was being declared. Now, I believe they're no longer needed because the message has long ago been authenticated. Those sign gifts include miracles. This simply refers to the gift of being able to perform supernatural demonstrations of power. They included the signs and wonders Philip performed to authenticate his message, the raising of Dorcas from the dead, and Paul's blinding Elymas, the magician, to prove to Sergius Paulius that uh, he was preaching the word of God. Now, while I believe God is still in the business of working miracles, and that his hands are not tied by natural processes, I do not believe the gift of being able to perform miracles is given to individuals, individual believers, any longer. Healings, the gift to be able to make others whole, that's what it means. Primarily to heal them physically, to prove that God is able to heal the Spirit. The apostles healed often, and apparently they could give this gift to others. Again, God still heals. But I believe the gift of being able to heal miraculously is no longer given to individuals in the church. Then we come to tongues. The word is used to refer to the tongue itself or to languages in Scripture. When tongues first appeared on the day of Pentecost, it was the gift of being able to speak unlearned foreign languages. And there's no reason to assume it meant something else in Corinth. We're going to deal more with this gift because it was a problematic gift in Corinth as we explore chapters 13 and 14. The final sign gift is the interpretation of tongues. Now, this wasn't necessary on the day of Pentecost because everyone heard the apostles speaking the mighty deeds of God in their own native tongues. But apparently it was a gift present in Corinth that gave to some the ability to translate languages that were used in worship. 
These are the sign gifts. Gifts, again, that I feel are no longer present in the church. Gifts that are no longer needed. Gifts like that of the apostles and prophets that were foundational in nature. The final category, working gifts, are definitely needed in the church today. And these should be the ones that we talk about the most. These are the ones we ought to be discussing and trying to apply to our lives instead of arguing over positional gifts and uh, temporary gifts. We start where Paul starts with the gift of wisdom. Now, I believe this is the gift of being able to see life from God's perspective, of being able to see how God is at work in the world and of knowing how to apply Scripture to life situations. You know, we obviously need those in the church who can do this. And if you're able to make sense out of what others find confusing and to see how God is working behind the scenes to bring good even out of tragedy, you may have the gift of wisdom. Don't be afraid to express it. Share your insights into life with your brothers and sisters. That's why they were given to you. Next, we have a word of knowledge. Now, it's possible that this referred to a special gift of being able to know God's will even before it was revealed in Scripture, another foundational gift. Because in chapter 13, Paul speaks of knowledge being done away with. But I think it can also refer to the gift of being able to know and retain God's Word as revealed in Scripture. You know, the church is certainly thankful for those who always seem to know what God has to say in His Word about a particular topic or problem. And if you can remember Bible facts and Bible stories and Bible passages and, and you can find them and help people to see what God has to say, you may have the gift of knowledge being able to process what God has revealed to us. Along with knowledge is the gift of prophecy. Again, this primarily means to speak forth the mind of God. Now, there was a foundational position of being a prophet in the church, and 1 Corinthians 13 also speaks of prophecy being done away with. But there still seems to be a gift present that enables some to speak forth the revealed mind of God with clarity and power. And if you can do that, you have the gift of prophecy. Then we have the gift of teaching. Some have the gift of making truth known and understood, and they can share spiritual truth in such a way that people accept it, and their lives are changed by it. I think that's the gift of teaching, being able to share spiritual truth in a way that lives are changed. After teaching comes exhorting in Romans 12. The word translated exhort literally means to call alongside. It carries with it the idea of admonishing or motivating and challenging. You know, some always seem to be able to say the right thing to encourage and motivate others. They have the gift of exhortation. You know, two people can say the same thing to you. And one of them you take as an affront, and the other one is like, wow, you're right. I can do it. 
I think that's a gift. I think it's a gift. Then, back to 1 Corinthians 12, after prophecy, we find the distinction or distinguishing of spirits. I think this can be called the gift of discernment. The gift of being able to tell truth from error. Of being able to know if something is of God or not. Of being able to see through falsehood before its fruit makes it evident. This obviously is an extremely valuable gift because it helps keep a church on the right track. And if you seem to be able to sense whether or not a man is genuine or a teaching is true, you may have the gift of discernment. Use that gift. Express that gift. Then there's the gift of leading. It simply means to stand before. It carries with it the idea of being able to get others to follow. If you seem to be able to get others to follow you as you follow Christ, you may have the gift of leading. On the same lines, the gift of administrations or governing. It means to be able to guide or pilot or steer. It's the gift of being able to help set the course for a congregation and guiding them in the right direction. Then there's the gift of faith. Now, everyone's to have faith, but this is a special measure of faith that that sees through obstacles. It's the gift of a vision of being able to see possibilities where others only see problems, and we need people of faith to say, we can do that. Okay? And there's a gift of service. It's a special gift of being able to minister in a practical way to the needs of others. Obviously, that is a hugely broad gift, a gift of service, just being able to help. And then there's specifically the gift of helps, which is a gift of being able to lend a hand and to support someone else's ministry. A body works together. Not everyone speaks, but everyone has an opportunity to serve and to minister. And we help each other. We serve each other. We minister with and for each other. Now, these are important, valuable gifts. Never Never minimize a gift of service or helps. It's critical to the life of the church and the life of the body at large. There are a number of ways a person can be of service and help to others. And it may be the Holy Spirit has specially gifted you to help others in some way. Maybe it's in addition to the talents you have, but it's applied to the body specifically. It is a gift of Showing mercy, that's that's a beautiful gift. The gift of being able to show loving compassion in a way that really lifts people up. It's the gift of being there with the right word or the right deed at just the right moment. that's, That's an amazing gift. Far too often I think I should have done something. I should have said this. And then I feel guilty because I haven't said it or done it. If you seem to be able to sense when to do it and you do it, you've got a gift. A gift of showing mercy. Amazing gift. A loving gift. A gift that needs to be expressed both inside the church and outside the church in the name of Christ. So take seriously the opportunities you have to show mercy if you're gifted at comforting people. The last example is the gift of giving. Now, this, I think, is a special capacity 
to meet the material needs of others. Perhaps it includes the gift to manage money well and to always have plenty to share. You know, some people can just grow money. And they really have trees in their backyard, I guess. Some of us don't have that. Yeah. And if you've got that gift, thank God for it. You'll always have something to share with those around you. What an amazing gift. Amazing gift. Well, many of these gifts, I'm sure you've noticed, are things all Christians are to be doing. Okay? Don't say, well, I don't have the gift of giving. <laughs> We're all to give. We're all to help. We're all to serve. We are all to show mercy. We are all to have faith and to share our faith. But you know, it's kind of like, like a ball team. Even though all on a ball team have to throw and bat and catch, some are especially talented as a pitcher or hitter or fielder. And there are, therefore, expectations that have to be met. You expect them to be more effective doing what they're especially equipped to do. And even though a pitcher has to come to bat, you're not too upset if he strikes out more often than your main hitter. But you expect him to be able to pitch, right? Boy, what do you think of my sports analogies, huh? (laughs) I read it right here. (laughs) And don't forget, my mom sent me a book, How to Start Baseball, 40-some years ago. So it is in the church. We are all to be involved in the work of ministering. We are all to be letting Christ live his life through us. That means there are some things we're all going to have to do. But we also have a special place of ministry in the body. We have all been given a gift to exercise in a special area of service that Jesus opens up for us. And that, that kind of adds a new dimension of excitement and fulfillment in ministry. You know, we don't just work in the church because we've got to do it. There are things we just got to do. But it's also really exciting to know that God has given every one of us just something that he didn't give to someone else. And he wants you to use it. He's gifted you. To add something to the church that no one else can add. So use it. That's amazing. That's fun. That's exciting. Don't stress about it. Just do it. And get excited. And you discover there's something that you can do that really feels good. And makes you feel like God's at work in your life in the church. You have a special place of ministry. We've all been given a special gift, and Christ expects you to use it. And even if you can't identify your gift, I'm convinced you will be expressing it if you've submitted to the Lordship of Christ, and you honestly seek to do and be what He wants you to be and has equipped you to do. As I said, there are some unlisted gifts. I think most of them are unlisted. So don't stress over identifying your gift. Just look to your heart. 
surrender to the Lordship of Christ and say, use me. I'm convinced he will. And I'm convinced as you are ministering, as you're serving, you'll discover a giftedness that enables you to feel really good about your walk in the kingdom. A long sermon, a lot of information, a lot of confusion out there. And we're going to be dealing with this in detail. I sometimes think we talk about it too much, but we just talk about it when we get to it. So it's important. Bottom line, we need to be surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. We need to say, Lord, whatever you've given me, I'll use it for you. And if we can't figure out what to do, just start doing something. Don't figure anymore. Just do it. Okay? Don't sit around waiting for someone to say, well, I think you can do this. No. Just start doing something. If you see something to do, do it. If you see a need that's not being met, meet it. Don't ever say, somebody ought to. Hmm. If those words come out of your mouth, look in a mirror and say, I just found somebody. (laughs) Okay? That's how you use your gifts. And that's how the church is blessed. Couldn't find a better hymn than, of course, I Surrender All. (laughs) So let's stand and do it again.